Back home, uh, some of you may understand what I, what I mean when I tell you I inadvertently made a mess. I was uh, in my office, President's Day, uh, for a few hours that morning and had the great idea of moving books around. And every day it only gets worse. <laughs> uh, just trying to sort through what should go where. And moving books around, I found a book that I read as a, a, a new pastor, young man by um, Warren Worsby, just a little book entitled In Praise of Plotters. I think it's just a collection of articles that he had written for something else. And I just uh, sat for a moment and skimmed uh, that little book and stumbled over this little chapter in that book that he entitles, Pick a Preacher, Any Preacher. He opens the little chapter by saying, painters study the lives and works of other painters. And musicians do the same with musicians, but for some reason, preachers ignore their own heritage. And he goes on to talk about why Every preacher should have a, a hero, a pulpit hero. He talks about the men who have been heroes in his own life and ministry. And he ends by saying, we may not get acquainted with a thousand preachers, but we ought to get acquainted with at least one who excites and encourages us to do our best. I agree. Every, every preacher should have a hero. You need to pick that hero for yourself. You need a hero for the sake of perspective and passion. You need heroes for the sake of perspective and passion. Perspective just for the reality of the fact that ministry will not always be easy. And you need the perspective of Faithful ministry at times just encourage you to hang in there. And then for the sake of passion, someone who inspires you, someone who encourages you to give God your best in the service of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would suggest uh, as a young man or as a beginning in ministry, you should look for two kinds of heroes, a living hero and a dead hero. John MacArthur has been a living hero for me. A few of you may know a little bit about my uh, biography. As a boy, I started preaching under the ministry of my own father. And in my teenage years, the Lord called my father from labor to refreshment. Uh, a year after his death, I was called to succeed him. He was uh, finishing up 40 years of ministry in the same church and I was called to succeed him as a high school senior, um, 17 years old. And as soon as um, I got started, for some reason, charismatic stuff just broke out in this traditional black Baptist church. Um, none of this had ever come up. I remember in one Sunday school teacher's meeting, 
a, a lady asked my father about speaking in tongues and some experience. And my, my father looked at her and said, now, sister, you know we don't believe that here. And she shut up. That was the end of the conversation. <laughs> so, I mean, so I don't even know what it was all about. Uh, and then as uh, soon as I get started, it, it's just broke out in our church. And I did not know uh, really which way to turn and thumbing a, a moody magazine. Saw an advertisement for Charismatic Chaos and went to a store and bought it. Devoured it and started devouring John MacArthur books. Little did I know he was just over the hill. Uh, and thereafter, just started visiting here as often as I could. And at some point, just sitting in the back of this church on Sunday nights, learning theology, learning preaching, learning leadership, just by kind of hanging out in the fringes, never expecting to have any proximity to Dr. MacArthur or any setting like this. Um, just this morning, thinking about the years I had been uh, at the Shepherds Conference, and I don't even remember too many instances being in a main auditorium. <laughs> I usually ended up in an overflow section somewhere. And, um, but even from a distance, God used the ministry of this church and the ministry of this pastor to impact my life. He's been for me a living hero, but the Dead hero for me has been Charles Haddon Spurgeon. In a lot of ways, I won't linger there, in a lot of ways for the same reasons. A lot of ways for the same reasons. Charles uh, Haddon Spurgeon was my father's preaching hero. And it's surprising that he became my preaching hero as well because I couldn't stand Spurgeon as a boy because that's all my father talked about, all my father read. I was just sick of Spurgeon as a little boy. Um, my father had sets and volumes of Spurgeon's books, um, and every week he was reading Spurgeon's sermons. Um, and I don't think he was taking material, I hope, uh, but he was influenced by the writings and the sermons week in and week out. If I asked his advice about something or something to read, he was going to give me something on Spurgeon most of the time. And my father's preaching was influenced in that regard by Spurgeon. And my father was, in a lot of ways, an evangelist at heart. Uh, most weeks, my father preached from one verse and just kind of mind that verse for its gospel implications. Um, I just, looking back and see the marks of Spurgeon on him, and I, I just avoided Spurgeon. I, I remember thinking that if I never hear Spurgeon stuff again, it'll be too soon. But for some reason, as a teenager, after I began pastoring uh, my father's church, I stumbled on lectures to my students and it reintroduced me to Spurgeon, reading his counsel and advice for ministry, which made me dig in to Spurgeon's biography more and to study his life and his ministry and his writings. And somehow in the process of that, I landed again 
on the sermons of Spurgeon and fell in love with his preaching. And he has been a hero for me throughout my life and ministry for some uh, reason, even before I had this assignment. Just recently, I have been reading and rereading Spurgeon material, a couple of new works uh, related to Spurgeon that's come out recently, and just been encouraged and refreshed and challenged again uh, to be faithful to the gospel, faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, faithful to the calling that the Lord has placed on my life. And I just kind of want to share reasons why with you over the course of uh, our time together that Spurgeon is worthy of being a preaching hero to challenge us and encourage us to be faithful in what assignment God has given us. I um, want to just kind of begin with uh, just kind of some of the timeline and some of the high points of his life and ministry. I trust that many of you will know these details, so I won't spend a lot of time on the biographical stuff, but just to mention some of these dates and moments of his life and ministry. He was born June 19th. 1834, converted in a uh, remarkable way, January 6, 1850, baptized a few months later in May, 1850, received in the membership of a church that same year. I think, of course, one of the reasons why Spurgeon is also a hero of mine is because As a boy, as a teenager, he became a pastor at a very young age. October 1851, became the pastor of Water Beach Chapel, just north of Cambridge. And he served there for several years. Um, Have you all seen the, uh, or picked up yet the copies of the Lost Sermons of Spurgeon? Um, I would encourage you to pick up, it's a few volumes in, These lost sermons of Spurgeon have been discovered, and they are now in the process of being published in encyclopedia form. It's three or four that's out already. Uh, I was excited when I first heard about it, learned a little more about the series, and blown away that uh, these are sermons found and discovered from Spurgeon's first pastorate in his teenage years. And my prayer to God is that nobody finds any sermon I preached <laughs> in my teenage years. <laughs> um, but, but they are doing a series of books on, on the sermons of Spurgeon from his first pastorate in his uh, teenage years. April 28, 1854, he accepts the pastorate at the New Park Street Chapel. He marries Susanna Spurgeon January 8, 1856. That uh, same year is the initial birth through investment in one person for what would become the pastor's college. It was more formally developed in 1857. His wife, Susie, gives birth to their twin sons, Charles and Thomas, September 20th, 1856. October 19th, 1856 is a big date in the life of Spurgeon where there is the Surrey Gardens Music Hall disaster because their church has been overrun with people to come hear this preacher. 
they have chosen this music hall to accommodate the crowds in their first service. Fire is called out from the crowd and people rush out and lives are lost. And Spurgeon's entire life and ministry are marked by that day and its tragedy. Praise God, not too long after, however, even though his entire life was marked by that experience, not too long after he got right back in the pulpit and kept on preaching. October 7th, 1857, he preached almost 24,000 people at the Crystal Palace. March 18th, 1861, the Metropolitan Tabernacle opened, seating somewhere between 5,000 and 6,000 people. In August of 1866, he begins work ministering to children through the development of the Stockwell Orphanage, which officially opens in 1867. Another important period, somewhere in 1868, 1869, his wife undergoes a surgery. Historians can only speculate about what the exact surgery was, but what we do know is that whatever that surgery addressed did not correct it, and she ended up being an invalid for much of the remainder of her life. 1872, Somewhere between 1872 and 1873, Charles Spurgeon's own health begins to deteriorate, and he wrestles with physical problems that will follow him for the rest of his life. 1875 is an important year. Uh, He meets Thomas Johnson, a former slave from Virginia who began studies at the pastor's college. This is the beginning of a rich friendship, intimate, close gospel friendship between Charles Spurgeon and a former slave. The story of this relationship is published recently in Still Away Home. Can't recommend it highly enough. It's been a great encouragement, particularly in the times and days that we live in. In 1875, Mrs. Spurgeon begins her book fund, of course, supported by Spurgeon that will continue throughout his life and throughout her life. 1875 as well, Girls' Orphanage opens alongside of the Orphanage for Boys. In 1887, the downgrade controversy begins. Charles Spurgeon that year resigns from the Baptist Union. The next year, he is by the Baptist Union, voted to censor him because of his stand. The place I would point you to for great, great look into that is at the end of Dr. MacArthur's book, Ashamed of the Gospel. The appendix there about the downgrade controversy will be of great resource to you there. 1891, he preaches his last sermon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. January 8th, 1892, Charles and Susanna celebrate their 36th wedding anniversary. On the 15th of that same month and year, his wife celebrates her 60th birthday. And at the end of that month, January 31st, 1891, Charles Spurgeon dies 
but the legacy of his life and ministry continues to this day. These are just snapshots of major points and transitions and seasons of his life. And it doesn't fill out all that God used him to do. It's almost just urban legend of all that God did through him as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of the things that I've mentioned factors in the prolific writing that's taking place weekly, the publication of sermons later as well, various books that he wrote. This is just a phenomenal, gifted preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, an excellent leader. But a key word in keeping with the theme of what we are thinking on this week is just this is a faithful preacher. His life and ministry, his preaching, his writing, the stands that he took all reflect his faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to mention some of these things that would come to no surprise just in big categories about why Charles Spurgeon is a preaching worth, preacher worth remembering. First would be Spurgeon's devotion to Jesus, his devotion to Jesus. I um, was with a friend, thank you kindly, brother. I was with a friend last summer, and uh, as we were riding, I asked him about a conference he was going to attend and uh, we talked about the speakers at that conference. One of them I had never heard uh, before, and I asked him about that brother. And he says, yeah, I heard him last year, and he had an interesting description of him. He says, I won't forget that message. He says, it's evident that that brother has been with Jesus. Of course, he's referring to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, the authorities, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. There's a lot of ways we describe preachers, good, bad, and indifferent, right? But that was a unique statement for me to hear that this was someone who was evident that he had been with Jesus. I think of that when I speak of, think of Charles Spurgeon's ministry. He's an influence to me because it's evident that he had been with Jesus. His preaching, without a doubt, has a commitment to sound doctrine. He's a committed Calvinist. He's a passionate evangelist. And as you read, it's interesting, the sermons of Spurgeon that for some, you may pass them on to someone to read and they seem to someone today rigid and stiff at points. But during his own day, he was ridiculed for how common the language of his preaching was. Spurgeon was committed to sound doctrine but his sound doctrine was married to spiritual devotion. His sermons were not theological lectures. They were passionate messages 
evidence of one who was in love with Jesus. And I think that's just one note for us to consider out of the life of Spurgeon for our own lives and our own ministries, a devotion to Jesus and that our work for the Lord is not just committed to sound doctrine, but it is evidence that our ministries, our public ministries are the overflow of our personal devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be men whose lives and ministries evident that we have spent time with Jesus. As you read Spurgeon's sermons today, that sense just lingers of his love for Jesus, his exaltation of Jesus. The gospel appeals not just to get the points of doctrine right, but an affection and a love and a devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, Spurgeon's love for his wife. Spurgeon's love for his wife. I have recently read Ray Rhodes' new book, Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon. And I would encourage you to pick up that book and read that book. That book has been quite a blessing to me. As you hear, or rather as you read about Spurgeon, you'll get all of these snapshots in the various biographies of his relationship to his wife. This is a modern and pretty thorough treatment of his wife's story. And one of the things that just bleeds through is the love that Spurgeon had for his wife. As a boy, my father was committed to his ministry and he was just a busy man, a hardworking man, but I never felt that there was a competition between the church and my father's affection for his family. And in too many instances these days, we sacrifice our families on the altar of ministry. And I just think this is one of the reasons why we should consider Spurgeon as we seek to be faithful pastors because of his affectionate love for his his wife, her love for him, and how literally they, they held each other up. It's a warm story of their courtship. But once they are married, that courtship doesn't end. As you read their correspondence with one another, and the story of their relationship, this is a man who loved his wife. And this, of course, brothers, is one of the key character points of a faithful shepherd. He is the husband of one wife. And I think, well, our heart breaks. Just seems regularly we keep hearing one story after another of the downfall of preachers. Don't guard their integrity. Don't guard the vows of their marriages. And in this regard, Spurgeon is an example to us to be faithful. His love for his wife went from courtship into marriage and throughout the sufferings that they endured together. 
After the birth of their children, she suffered physical illnesses that, that she never recovered from. And it seems as if the surgery to address whatever ailed her just made matters worse. She was yet committed to Christ in the midst of her sufferings and committed to her husband and he to her. For that reason, the second thing I would just point out in terms of looking to Spurgeon as a example for faithfulness would be just the pointing of his, of his relationship to his wife and his commitment to her in the ups and the downs of life and ministry. Thirdly, Spurgeon's commitment to the gospel. This is why we love Spurgeon, right? He was committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the midst of changing times, in the midst of a betrayal of the truth, in the midst of growing liberalism, he never wavered from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in so many ways, we are living literally through a time where there is a turning away from the truth. It's amazing that we are living in a period on one hand, there is a revival of Calvinism and Reformed theology and expository preaching. And at the same time in the culture that we live in, there's a turning away from the truth and the Bible and the gospel happening at the same time. And faithfulness will require that you know where you stand and why you stand where you stand. And a man like Spurgeon is an example from church history of a commitment to the gospel that does not waver in the midst of changing times. He had a commitment to the gospel that was rooted in a high view of God. Spurgeon was a Calvinist. He embraced Reformed theology. He understood it to be biblical truth. He did not waver on the authority of Scripture. There are times I am asked just what I see down the road or what I would point a younger man to be on guard against. And it would be these two things. Just stand your ground, be ready to stand your ground on attacks against the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture. Decades ago, the battles for the Bible were taking place, and it's amazing that um, those battles still continue. You have to stand your ground on the authority of Scripture because secondarily, the attack against the authority of Scripture is so prevalent because there is an attack against the exclusivity of Christ. Scriptures, the enemy seeks to undermine Scripture so that, they might, so that he might turn people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the only hope of salvation. For this reason, Spurgeon is again an example to us about what it means to be faithful. He had a commitment to a high view of God, the authority of Scripture, and the exclusivity of Christ that helped him in the words of 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach in season and out of season. The fourth thing I will mention is Spurgeon's faithfulness in the pulpit. Spurgeon's faithfulness in the pulpit. 
Steve Lawson said it well, that if John Calvin was the greatest theologian of the church, Jonathan Edwards, the greatest philosopher, and George Whitfield, the greatest evangelist, Spurgeon surely ranks as its greatest preacher. His preaching was gospel-centered preaching. Week in and week out as a pastor, he preached the gospel. This is what we were reminded of yesterday by Mark Dever out of the words of Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man mature or perfect or complete in Christ. Of course, the gospel is not just an entryway in to the to the life of the church where we move on to more important subjects. We're to preach the gospel to the lost and teach the gospel to the church. And in that regard, the faithfulness of the gospel preaching of Charles Spurgeon is a great example to us. As you read it, his preaching is gospel saturated. And the other encouragement is that he did it for decades in the same congregation. As I mentioned, my own father pastored the same church for 40 years through ups and downs and all of the various challenges of life and ministry. I had the wonderful privilege just a few weeks ago to be invited home to preach. And most of those who showed up to hear me preach were not there to hear me preach, but were there so that afterward they could come up and thank me for my father's ministry. In ways God had used him to point them to Christ, some of them before I was even born. I just know as some of the struggles my father's ministry ended with and the changing community and the challenges that he faced there in that local church. And there's a reminder that sometimes you won't get to see the fruit of your labor, but if you are faithful to God in the place where God has planted you, the Bible tells us clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, that we're to be steadfast and movable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. One of the great reasons why Dr. MacArthur is such a blessing and encouragement to so many of us is not just his exposition of the word, but just his faithfulness to it for now, 50 years in the same pulpit, week in and week out. And this was the story of Charles Spurgeon. He was, he was a preacher. God save us from preachers who want to do everything but preach. When you think of this 2 Timothy 4 and two, called to preach the word in season and out of season. Charles Spurgeon is an illustration of this. Through sickness, in times of growth, in times of controversy, in times of personal difficulties, he preached the word in season and out of season. 
John Piper's little book, Preaching Through Adversity. The profile of Spurgeon would be a benefit for you to read. Charles Spurgeon was a man who was faithful in his preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the very end. Number five, Spurgeon's commitment as a pastor. Spurgeon's commitment as a pastor. We know Spurgeon for his preaching. We know Spurgeon for his writings. But at the heart, he was a pastor. He was a pastor teacher. And this is the spirit of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Again, to verse two, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season, but to reprove and rebuke and exhort with long suffering, complete patience and teaching. Spurgeon did that in one pulpit nearly four decades. He was a pastor teacher in the words of Ephesians chapter four. And not just that, in terms of his Worship leadership as you study the life of his ministry there at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. As you read Surgeon's prayers, as we were hearing again from Mark Dever last night, just about the place of pastoral prayer in the discipling and shepherding and ministry to your people, Spurgeon is an example of those things to us. And also in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, as a pastor who is called to preach the word, Timothy is exhorted and charged to do the work of an evangelist. Pastors are to do the work of an evangelist at the same time, and this was Spurgeon's commitment in his gospel preaching. He had an all-around ministry. He wasn't just, um, well, there's two temptations There's the temptation of the pastor who's involved in all kinds of things and neglects his pulpit work. And then there's the pastor who is committed to his pulpit work but neglects the other aspects of pastoral ministry. In this regard, again, Spurgeon is an example to us as he had an all-around ministry in his preaching, in his leadership, in his prayer. In the life of the Metropolitan Church, there was an everyday church ministering to its community and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number six, Spurgeon's concern for others. Spurgeon's concern for others. There was this blending of truth and love, which I think is reflective of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think on one hand, we are to be faithfully proclaiming the truth of Christ and faithfully demonstrating the love of Christ. And I think in that regard, Spurgeon is an example to us. Just consider the ministries and the noble causes he was committed to. The pastor's college committed to training men for ministry. His charities and his orphanages caring for the needy, the least, the last, the left out. And I would also mention his boldness in speaking out against American slavery. 
that got him banned in places and ridiculed and criticized and rejected. Again, I would commend to you Steal Away Home by Matt Carter and Aaron Ivey, story of Spurgeon's relationship with Thomas Johnson, a former slave who comes to his school, and from there they maintain an ongoing and close relationship. When I, when I was a boy, my father spent so much time during the week in the community. They made, as my church, a food bank to help those who just were needy in, in the community the church served. My father would be bold to speak out during the week and for causes that would aid the members of his church. But then when he got to the when he got to the pulpit, my father was not preaching politics. It, just, it was just an amazing blend. And as I see so much controversy today, my, my father was faithful to the place where God called him and all that that meant, which means he had to be engaged in a lot of, um, it's, it's interesting to hear some people who are able to stand off from a distance and in theory, discuss what should and should not be happening. Um, I pastor in a black neighborhood. <laughs> and um, there are just things we cannot avoid. The people I serve live it every day. And I saw my father's example of ministering to the place where God had called him. But yet, he did not try to turn the pulpit into a civil rights organization. He preached the gospel. And there was just no division there. There was this wonderful blend of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that overflowed in the love and concern for others and faithfulness to show the love of Christ where God called him. And I think this also is a mark of Spurgeon's ministry worth considering. While we try to sort through those thorny cultural things today, I think that Spurgeon is an example to us. No one could accuse Spurgeon of being unfaithful to the gospel. But he was consumed with meeting all kinds of needs around him. Even the most controversial matters he waded into for the sake of Christ. Lastly, I would mention Spurgeon's steadfastness in suffering. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, remember Paul tells Timothy to endure suffering, endure hardship. The interesting thing about that exhortation to me is that too many that enter into ministry don't even expect hardship, much less endure it. We are more we're more concerned, it seems, as I look around a young man, building a platform rather than being faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ who endure hardship for his glory. A little book by Ian Murray, The Forgotten Spurgeon, again, I would commend to you to dig in deeper to those behind-the-scenes realities of Spurgeon's life and ministry that are not so often celebrated when he has mentioned where there were the struggles and the controversies and the criticisms that he faced. 
And in that regard, he is an example to us. Seems as if the things I've read a little more recently have been a little more open with addressing just what is what has been now a little more bluntly called depression that he suffered. Bouts of depression that he suffered. Some because of the tragedy at the Surrey Gardens. Some because of the weight and pressures of ministry. Yet he remained steadfast even in the midst of that physical sickness where there were waves upon waves where he would be strong enough to preach and then need to have extended time away, hoping that he could get better to get back to the pulpit. And yet his steadfastness and trusting Christ, cherishing Christ never changed. In the midst of withering criticism throughout his ministry, he remained steadfast in his devotion to Christ. And in the major matter of his life, the major controversy of his life, the downgrade controversy, where the celebrated preacher faced so much rejection all around him, he remained steadfast. Our ministries will not be easy. And for that reason, we we need not only the word of God to be our foundation. We need not only godly people in our lives to encourage us, but I believe we need the perspective of faithful heroes to encourage us and to challenge us to be faithful. And Spurgeon, for the reasons I mentioned and many more, is a worthy example. He's not just a prince of preachers, but he was a faithful preacher. If I may just close us with the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for your grace that has not only chose chose us before the foundation of the world and redeemed us by the blood of Christ, but you have called us to the labor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your gracious condescension to use, Lord, jars of clay as we are so that the surpassing power may be of you and not of us. And in the name of Jesus, Father, we pray that you would help us to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, faithful to your word and the testimony of Jesus Christ in season and out of season, faithful, Lord, 
to the place of assignment that you have called us to. We give you praise that you are the God that causes all things to work together for the good of those who love you and are the called according to your purpose. There are no accidents in our lives, and even the hard places you assign us is for your glory and for our good and for the sake of the gospel. And we pray, Father, that you would help us not to be weary in well-doing, knowing that in due season we shall reap a harvest if we do not lose heart. I pray even for those under the sound of my voice now who find themselves at a hard place in a hard season or with a hard assignment. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, that you would help us to not lose heart. Help us to recognize that our light momentary affliction is working for us, indeed, a far more eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Help us to not look at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen knowing that the things that are seen are just temporary, but the things that are unseen last forever. Thank you for the examples of church history that you give us and for the examples of faithful preachers living and dead. Thank you for the example of Charles Spurgeon. And I just pray these simple principles would point someone here, Lord, to dig deeper into his life and ministry and find in him an example of faithfulness, Lord, that will help them, Father, to get a proper perspective when we face our own difficulties and we'll stir our passions to be faithful to the Christ in season and out of season. We pray, Father, that you would be obviously at work throughout the remainder of our time together these days and that we would go home challenged and encouraged and refreshed to stay the course and follow hard after Jesus Christ to preach the word to your glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers.